The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to I Took the High Road with Jacob Jansen. Our program is designed to educate about the drug problems that are reaching epidemic proportions in the United States. Could we be approaching the drug problem the wrong way? Mr. Jansen has been down the road of addiction, down the path of recovery, and now helps others find their path. Addicts are not bad people trying to get good. They're sick people needing to get well. Are you a part of the solution or the problem? Come and join us for an hour of fantastic guests, amazing stories, positive encouragement, and information that just might make your community a better place. Now, here is your host, Jacob Jensen. Hey, good morning, and uh, welcome to I Took the High Road. I'm your host, Jacob Jansen, and we have a real important show today. Uh, today's show is how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Um, and today's guests are Robert Vincent, who is a public health analyst with SAMHSA Center for Substance Abuse Prevention. Uh, and later on in the show, we're going to welcome back Douglas Darby uh, and Anthony Alvarado, co-founders of Rise Together. Uh, so the reason I wanted to do this show is after my first show on uh, my life story and really what I went through, there were some responses from parents going, oh my gosh, what do I do? This is such a big issue. I'm so worried for my kids right now. Uh, so I wanted to do this show to help uh, ease some of the worry of some of the parents that are out there and uh, make it a little bit easier to open up those lines of communication with their kids. So I went to the SAMHSA website, and, and they just released a survey, uh, a national survey on the rate of illicit drug use among adolescents in 12, from 12 to 17, uh, and there is some really good news out there. So this is what it says. The rate of current, which means in the past month, illicit drug use was lower among adolescents aged 12 to 17 in 2013 than in 2012, and also compared to 2002. So in 2002, it was 11.6% we're using. Um, in 2013, right now, it's 8.8%. So we're seeing a drop. Um, also, they also found that between 2002 and 2013, the level of youth aged 12 to 17 with substance dependence or abuse problems decreased from 89 to 5.2%. So we're th- seeing a 3.7% jump over about the last 10 years. Uh, the report also showed that there was a drop in tobacco use uh, from um, products from uh, 
individuals aged 12 to 17. Uh, it went from 15.2% in 2002 to a record low of 7.8% in 2013. So this really means that whatever we're saying, whatever we're doing is starting to work. Um, it indicated, however, that the, the level for most other illicit drugs such as cocaine, heroin, hallucinogens, and prescription painkillers uh, used non-medically remains similar to what they've been last year. So uh, the administrator uh, from SAMHSA, Pamela S. Hyde, says, this report shows that we have made important progress in some key areas, but that we need to rejuvenate our efforts to promote prevention, treatment, and recovery to reach all aspects of our community. The real lives represented by these statistics deserve our protection and help from the ravages of substance use disorders. Through a comprehensive national effort, we can help people avoid or recover from substance use problems and lead healthy, productive lives. And this is what this show is really all about, making sure that we're getting out uh, really good preventative measures, uh, but also if somebody's hooked into substance use, that we're getting them treatment um, and not punishment. So uh, today our first guest is Robert Vincent. And as I mentioned, he's a public health analyst with SAMHSA Center for Substance Abuse and Prevention. Hi, Robert. Uh, Rob, thank you for joining me today on the show. Good morning. And how are you? I'm doing really great today. Uh, this is such an important topic, so I, I, again, I thank you for being here. Um, so the first question that I have for you um, is, at what age do children really need to start learning about drug and alcohol uh, use? Well, I think there's uh, never a definitive age in, uh, in our view that um, really, on the prevention side of this conversation, we want people talking early and often. Um, I do want to say um, one thing as it regards the, the former um, intro a little bit, that uh, we have made good strides, but we still have some challenges with our 18 to 20-year-olds in particular, um, that those numbers are still a little higher. So I think there's still more work to do, um, which is why we want to be having those conversations as early. And, and when we talk about alcohol, one of the campaigns that we talk about is for underage drinking. You know, we have really been approaching 9 to 15-year-olds, but the truth is is we would have parents talking as young as 6 or so. Sure, um, sure. Now, the conversations that would happen at those ages certainly are quite different depending on developmental stages of a child and those kinds of things. So it's not like you're going to go have the big drug talk, but more like the positive things you can do to show that you disapprove or that may not be helpful or that you care about your child's well-being. Sure. So, well, and 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 my next question, I think you almost answered it, but I was going to ask, you know, do you how, how do you really approach different age groups of ch children differently when when you're talking to them about drugs? Say, you know, talking to a six year old compared to a twelve year old. Well, you know, one of the programs that SAMHSA is responsible for is a program called Building Blocks, and that is literally working with early childhood education and educators. Um, the approaches are very different developmentally in terms of, you know, you're not having the direct conversation per se around drug use or alcohol other than to to sort of help them build self-efficacy and strengthen themselves around their own decision-making and mm -hmm. how they might approach that. Sure. But, you know, but even most six-year-olds, I mean, in all honesty, most six-year-olds know that alcohol in and of itself is for adults. Uh, absolutely. So they, they tend to know that already innately. It's just that somewhere between 9 and 13, that thinking starts to change. And that really does have a lot more to do with what's happening um, developmentally for the young person. They're certainly more curious, willing to explore things, etc. 
Sure, absolutely. You know, and I, I wanted to go back just a little bit. You said that that age group, 18 to 20, is, is still a real tough age group. Uh, why do you think that is right now? Why do you think we're still seeing, you know, issues there and we're not hitting that portion of the population? Well, I, I think we hit it. Um, I'll just use the, uh, illicit drug use. Um, I think our 18 to 20-year-olds um, were down a little bit, but we're still at about 22.6 in 2013, down from 2013, um, 23%, almost 24% in 2012 um, on illicit drug use, and that tends to be primarily marijuana. Sure. Um, alcohol is um, not a lot different, um, but the 18 to 20 crowd is still, we've actually, we've made good strides there, but it's our 21 to 25 group <laughs> uh, as it relates to alcohol that tends to be a little bit more problematic. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the development cycle of, of where a person is in their life. Um, think back uh, at 18, what you're trying to accomplish, um, you know, we're individuating, we're, we're trying to be adults, we're trying to assume our life. And in fact, societally, we, we kind of, um, I call it the catch and release, but we kind of um, push them out there and assume in many cases that they'll be completely prepared, etc. And, and for, many, for many, that's not really the case. And of course, you know, we've created a culture sometimes. Um, uh, one of our colleagues, Dr. Ralph Hinkson at NIAAA, often says sometimes that... Um, College drinking in particular, um, binge drinking, is, is sort of a problematic area. And some of that has to do with the culture of, of the environment there. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, li- I live in Wisconsin, Milwaukee area, and we are just such an alcohol-accepting culture. And uh, even being that accepting, I started drinking at about 13, uh, but it was really because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to fit in with the adults. Um, you know, I, I really didn't have that education around it, um, you know, and that's what led me to start drinking. And because, you know, back 15, 20 years ago, it was just a drug is a drug and there was very little differentiation. Uh, you know, in, in the different programs that were out there between the substances, you know, I went right from alcohol to marijuana and right up the scale with with uh, the drugs, thinking that each one, you know, would be different but affect me and have the same addictive properties and affect me the same. So, um, so uh, the next question that I want to ask is, you know, this this is a really difficult or taboo topic for many families. Uh, you know, I, I know certainly. Uh, in a lot of the interventions that I do, I get called uh, later rather than earlier in the process because people usually just don't want to talk about it or bring it up. There's a lot of shame or guilt associated with it. So around that taboo, uh, you know, how should parents approach their child on this topic or how should they break the ice with this topic? Well, you know, um, sometimes I think parents feel, um, especially in the earlier years, and when I say earlier, that 13 to 15, uh, I call it the one big talk moment in life. Um, how many of us as, as young people have had one of our parents or caregivers come to us and say, we're going to have the big talk today? Um, and we sort of advise against that. The one big talk really isn't very effective. Um, you might walk away satisfied as the adult who is feeling like, okay, I, I've had it. He's, he, he or she's totally got it, right? And that's really not the case. We, we encourage multiple small conversations sort of along the lifespan a little bit. Um, and there are really five key conversations um, goals that we have always um, believed very strongly in. One, just show that you disapprove of either underage drinking or drug use. Um, in a way that is not condemning. 
you know, most kids mm-hmm. really parents are the are singularly parents or caregivers um, are the single leading influence in their lives, and so your words are are, are good. What we don't want to do is shut the conversation down by either, you know, being overly, you know, making those unrealistic threats or those blanket threats, those kinds of things. You know, you're grounded for life. Uh, you're not allowed to drink if I ever catch you, you know, those kinds of things. Sure, empty you threats know? never help. <laughs> yeah, well, it just shuts the conversation down, and that's truly unfortunate. Um, sure. You know, what you want to do, this is your child or, you know, somebody that's closer and uh, a part of your family, and you want to keep that conversation going. You want to let them know that you're disappointed, but more importantly, that you're worried about their health and well-being um, long-term, that, um, you know, we, I care about you, and that's why we're having this conversation. Um, we want to talk about, you know, clear agreements and rules and consequences, but, uh, again, you don't want to go too far with that, and you want to be calm. Sometimes people get very, very uh, animated um, or excited about this, or, and, and some of that probably comes more from a little panic or I'm not sure how to talk about it. Sure. No, absolutely. Is what you know, and what is really important when when you break the ice, when you have these small conversations. Uh, what's important to start with? What's important to you know finish with? What what needs to be included in these conversations? I love you, and I care about you. Um, I'm here because I care, and and that I'm not going to lecture with you. This is not about you're a bad person or we're condemning you or we're going to ground you for life. This is about um, here's what I know. Um, you want to be a good source, so that means you have to learn a little bit about these things. You want to be a good source of information. Um, you don't want to lecture them. You don't want to use the scare tactics. Um, but, you, but you do want to you know, let them know that you're paying attention and that you notice if there are changes going on so you can be involved with them. You want to ask them questions and stay informed. Um, yeah, and, and at the end of the day, you really want to build skills and strategies to help them if they get themselves into a situation for which they might make a, a choice that's not in their best interest. How can I give you a clear exit strategy? Because most kids know when it's not a good situation for them, they just may not have an easy way to get out of that. Um, and I think sometimes the, the more we can provide that or situations that will help them, then, then they'll make a different choice. Sure. So, so what I'm really hearing from you is that it's not necessarily about talking about the substances, but the behavior and how to make healthy choices and how to make good decisions and how to avoid stress or, uh, you know, peer pressure. Um, along I think those it's lines. all of that, but I, uh, I, I do want to say it is important to talk about the substances. Okay. Um, I don't think what you want to do is overemphasize that in a way that, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, those awkward conversations, and I know for a lot of adults it, it feels very awkward sometimes to, okay, how am I going to, you know, he's 16, how am I going to have this conversation? Um, it, you know, and that's why we don't recommend the big talk, but, you know, sometimes, honestly, uh, at least in my work uh, over the years, the best conversations I've had with a young person is in the car driving sometimes. Sure, where, if, if... You know, it's a, it's a little more relaxed and people can feel like they can have a little bit of a conversation. But if you perseverate on it or, or drill down on it too much, and, you know, I think we all know this intuitively, then, you know, it tends to shut the conversation down. Sure, absolutely. You know, if, if parents, um, you know, are uneducated uh, about this at the moment, is, is there uh, 
somewhere where you could point them where they could get resources or education about, about this topic so they feel more educated and, and ready to talk about this stuff? There is. There's um, StopAlcoholAbuse.gov is our national um, portal. It's 15 federal agencies that all come around um, around the ideas of underage drinking, so that's the big portal there. We have a um, website that's designed in a campaign currently. It's called Talk They Hear You. That campaign is targeted uh, specifically for underage drinking, but many of the same things that you would do there would apply with other substances. Um, and, and that whole website is about helping parents have the talk, um, conversation starters, modeling, different ways you could do it in, in a way, including a, uh, a parent interactive version that's on the website okay. that could model that for you. And you can have a, a, a conversation with the child and, um, and see their reaction. And it might, <laughs> it might give you a little run for your money as a parent because it's, it's designed pretty authentic. Statistically, um, uh, to represent a, a child that may have that conversation with you. And, of course, SAMHSA.gov, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, um, uh, which is SAMHSA.gov, and that's our main website. Sounds good. That's some great information for the listeners, Rob. we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk uh, more with Rob on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Thank you. We'll talk to you real soon. My pleasure. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this, providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org. So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. 
life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, this is I Took the High Road, and I'm your host, Jacob Jansen. We are talking with Rob Vincent on how to talk uh, to your kids about drugs and alcohol use. And before the break, uh, Rob really gave us some resources on uh, where you can find information and how to do this and the way that you should approach uh, talking to your kids. And, and one of the parallels that I made is, you know, it's very much like when I do interventions, that this is about being caring, uh, being understanding, uh, you know, and, and in an intervention, we offer a solution of treatment, uh, you know, to, for, for people to get help when we know there's a problem. So, Rob, what I wanted to ask you is, uh, is it a different approach if you think your child may already be using drugs or alcohol? Absolutely. Um, you know, if, you, if you'll think of sort of what we oftentimes refer to as the continuum, um, we, we've sort of missed the window of preventing um, the issue at that point in time, and they've, they've engaged. The question becomes, are they harmfully involved? Have there been consequences? Where, where, where does that lie? Um, I think more importantly for the parents, um, there's that moment, um, you know, it's, it's very hard for a parent to believe, first of all, that, that their child might be caught up in something that uh, is unfortunate or that they didn't want for their child, whether it's underage drinking or drug use. Mm-hmm. Um, and often when they find out about their, tri- their child's using drugs or alcohol, they're usually pretty shocked or stunned in many cases, um, depending on if they've been paying attention to warning signs or those kinds of things. And then what I'm talking about, of course, is this is that early phase of that. For, for some, after you sort of have that awareness, then this gets quite different. The real question becomes what might be the approach. And you spoke to it a little bit earlier there, Jacob. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we've called it, um, you know, uh, when you're doing the intervention, uh, sometimes people get uh, perseverate a little bit on the, the word intervention as much as how do I have a critical conversation with you about what I see that I love and I care for you, and how do I help you understand that this may not be in your best interest? In fact, if I'm seeing things, either missing school or those kinds of things, MIPs, dangerous, you know, high-risk behaviors of some type, how do I help you understand that that that, um, could be quite harmful to you both developmentally and physically? Sure. I, you know, I love that term critical conversation as an interventionist, you know, a lot of people have put such a negative connotation on that. And really what it is, is a critical conversation. It's about, uh, stopping the progression of the illness and the disease. Uh, Absolutely. And, and more importantly, you know, how do, I, how do I convey, and I know lots of parents, especially when it's a, a first moment, and, and I, I gently would say, especially when we look at schools and those kinds of things, schools are oftentimes, whether it's college or K-12, the place where a young person is trying on new roles in life. 
it's the one place I often refer to. It's the where they're the most like or natural for themselves because if I'm near you, if you're my father and I'm near you, I tend to act a little bit different. Sure. And um, uh, so sometimes in those environments, um, you'll be uh, you'll make aware, and uh, when parents come to the school because somebody's called them or something, they're likely to discover that no, that would never be my son, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, when that sets in, there's there's a, I don't want to call it hostility. That would be the wrong word choice. But uh, there there's a bit of panic that sure. happens for them in terms of what to do and how to say it and. Um, which is part of the reason why we often talk about the conversation starters and having these small conversations early, because then that, you know, it just becomes a continued reinforcement of the conversation. Sure. Um, and as you alluded to earlier, it's about doing a little pre-planning. That if yeah. this is a place that we need to actually intervene, then getting the right people uh, around this person to help that occur. Absolutely. There, you know, there, especially in my area of the country, the Midwest, there's, you know, a lot of denial about some of the problems. And then if the issue arises, there's can be a lot of shame, you know, associated with it as, as a parent um, and getting help, you know, and, and thinking that they're failures. But, you know, they're, they're absolutely not. Um, you know, and that's one of the big things that I work with with families is, is really teaching them about this disease, helping them make those right decisions. Um, and are there any scenarios or at what point would you recommend a parent going for outside help? At what point does, you know, is it, is it beyond the parent's control and they should look for outside help with this uh, situation? Um, it, it, yes. Um, there are moments in time when if it does not look like you're seeing behavioral change or attitudinal change or the situation is not improving, um, then I think it forces you as a parent to start to look at what your resources. And uh, as you had mentioned earlier, there's a, a lot of folks out there that are very skilled at, at providing interventions. There's, uh, we are putting programs in place in a number of things these days, what we call SBIRT, Screening Brief Intervention and Referral to Treatment, as a mechanism. And sometimes you'll see that in hospitals and emergency rooms and other locations. Sometimes you'll see these in schools in some locations with either student assistance programs or school-based health centers or things like that. Um, in sure. some cases, um, they may want to look at outside help as a, as a professional or a paraprofessional to come in and specifically help them with that. The biggest challenge, I think, for all parents is getting to the place to know when to do that. And I think for most of us, myself included, uh, it's always a difficult choice. Have I waited too long? Do I really need that? Um, I think many of us silently just hope it'll get better or he'll grow through that. The problem with addiction at large is that it's a disease that's developmental. It's a brain disease, and it doesn't really get better with time. It only gets worse. I understand that coming from a point of going through it as opiate dependent and uh, coming out the other side now being a little over four years clean. It's a constant work every day to continue doing the right things. And, and by the way, congratulations. Thank, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Um, one of the things that you talked about is, is the behavior. Um, if you don't see the behavior change, could you maybe talk about um, some of the behavior that parents, if they recognize this behavior, that it might be a certain sign that their kids might be into to drugs or alcohol? You know, there, there, it, there's no single one right answer. And sometimes, and I'll use the red eyes syndrome as an example, there's probably no single thing that you can point to to go, aha. And, and I really encourage people not to do the aha, I got gotcha you moments. 
sure. But it is that, um, uh, I generally refer to it as being present in that child's life or in that young person's life. Um, because it will be a lot of little things. Their grades mm-hmm. are starting to go down. Their attitudes change dramatically. Maybe clothing has changed. You might smell some new odors on clothing. Sure. Um, uh, friends, uh, relationships, maybe lifelong relationships have changed a little bit where maybe the, the boyfriend or girlfriend that was involved with them has now decided that they don't want to be a part of that. And, of course, that's all assuming that you're present and hearing these conversations. Yeah, with you know, as you're giving this list of things, I'm thinking back to my opiate dependency and my opiate usage, and just going, "Yep, yep, yep." These are all things that slowly started to happen, but it was such a slow, insidious process that things were such slowly taken away from me that that you couldn't see the big picture and in, in the downward slide because the opiates were so blinding in in the views of the future. And you've put your fingers squarely on what the the real issue is with this, and this is why I, I often tend to want to talk about presence, is that it's um, it's such a slow process that you may not be adequately accounting for what's really happening. Mm-hmm. And in the busy lives of parents, and my heart's go out to parents and caregivers today, it's a very busy life for, for people. Modern living is, is a lot different than maybe some, for some of our forefathers. Um, and uh, and sometimes you may not be as present or as engaged in your child's life as maybe um, would be more helpful in this kind of conversation, and and I think that is the the big issue. It's not one thing; it's a it's a combination of things that you should watch for, okay. and be willing to have the conversations as they're happening. I think that's wonderful advice. So. Rob, what what is important for parents to know or practice in the home? Or in other words, you know, how can parents really lay a good groundwork for drug education in the home? Is there anything they can do to prepare for these conversations or keep their kids out of trouble? Well, I think I'll go back to the one of the earlier comments. Um, you need to be informed and present. Um, we, you know, and and trust that your children still see. While it may not feel like it. Um, you know, we know that 80% of children say their parents are the leading influences in, in the decision to drink or use or not. Um, they really are listening to you. They may not always act like it. Um, you may not always feel like they're listening to you, but surprisingly, that really is the case for some. Um, it's important to send those clear messages. Um, I love you, I care, and I want the best for your life and well-being, and that that's a consistent drumbeat for parents. Um, I, uh, I may not care for the behavior, but I'm going to be present for it even when I don't necessarily care for it. And I'm going to have that conversation even when I don't want to have that conversation. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's, that's great uh, advice, Rob. Uh, do you have any final message for our listeners out there today? Well, I think the, the final message that I would say is have, please talk with your ch- children. We often refer to it as talk. They really do hear you. And that is very true. Um, sometimes we we just don't um, stress probably the the very nature of conversations become a little bit more fragmented. And um, um, like so many, uh, you know, addiction and um, it touches almost all of us in America in some form or fashion. And like everyone else, I've been touched with that, and I have. Um, my heart's gone out for many of children that I've either worked with or family members that I've known and loved that have had deep complications with this. And so um, it's worth the effort. Um, and uh, I liked your, your intro, so I appreciate it very much around um, they're not bad people trying to get better. Um, yeah, yeah. Don't go ahead, sorry. 
No, no, please go I, ahead. So. No, uh, you know, and I uh, just wanted to uh, thank you for being on the show and, and providing this information for, for listeners. Again, uh, real quickly, uh, where can listeners get this information on how to talk to their kids again? I know you mentioned it before, but I want to make sure that it's out there and they can hear it again. You can go to underagedrinking.samsa.gov, and that will give you all of our conversation starters and a complete parent and community toolkit. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Rob, uh, for being here. I appreciate it. My pleasure, and you guys have a great day. Thanks a lot, Rob. Uh, We're going to take a quick break from our commercial sponsors, and when we get back, we are going to talk with Anthony Alvarado from Rise Together. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. My name is Linda Lenz. Last year, my husband and I received a phone call that no parent should ever receive. We received a call that our 23-year-old son had died of a heroin overdose. We were on a mission to find out how this could happen. He was a beautiful person, intelligent, a straight-A student, and a wonderful son. But here's what we did not know. The drug landscape had changed. Kids in junior high and high school were using prescription pills to get high. Prescription pills are opiates, just like heroin, and they can be found in almost every home's medicine cabinet. To combat this problem, we established a Facebook page, Stop Heroin WI, and a website, StopHeroinNow.org. Please go to this website and donate generously. All of your money goes directly to prevention programs and rehabilitation programs. StopHeroinNow.org So no parent ever has to receive that phone call. Hi, my name is Jacob Jansen, and I am the owner of My Recovery Project. Do you know someone using drugs or alcohol? Are their actions negatively affecting you or people you care about? If so, it is time for an intervention. Far too often, we are a country that acts after problems arise. It is time to act now. Interventions confront a person and allow them to see their self-destructive behavior and how it affects themselves, family, and friends. Just as important, interventions help the family understand the disease of addiction and make sure the loved one gets the help they need by offering a solution of treatment. I have been through the hell of addiction, and I have found a passion in recovery helping others. Getting a person into treatment can be a difficult task. I help the family through this providing options, and I become a mediator during the intervention. If you would like more information, please visit www.myrecoveryproject.com or call 262-290-1072 for a free consultation before things get worse. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 
1-800-472-5792. Or send us an email at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the show. This is I Took the High Road and I am your host, Jacob Jansen. Uh, today our show is How to Talk to Your Kids About Drugs and Alcohol. And our next guest is one of the co-founders of Rise Together. And they have spoken to literally thousands of kids over the last year about drug and alcohol use. So, uh, Anthony, thank you for being on the show again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing me back on. This is awesome. So, you know, uh, you were at the Capitol uh, a few weeks ago, um, and I really had the pleasure of hearing you speak, and and you had a wonderful speech there, uh, and I'd really like the audience to hear it. Can can you summarize what that speech was, uh, you know, in Madison for us? Yeah, ultimately, it was, first of all, it was a great experience. We did a rally not too long ago, a few months ago, and we had about 80 people there, but this time we went ahead and we got together with some local organizations and we have about 300 plus people there. So the audience was amazing. There's people from recovery. Yourself was there. I know a lot of our supporters were there. And what we're really doing is advocating for recovery and pushing the recovery movement forward right here in the Midwest. And I think that's extremely dynamic. I mean, no longer are we going out and saying, hi, my name is Anthony Alvarado and I'm an addict. But instead we're going out and saying, hi, my name is Anthony Alvarado and I am a person in long-term recovery. And what that means to me, I've been completely clean and sober since November 24th of 2012. And within that, my recovery has given me back everything that I once lost due to my addiction. And for that, I am grateful. So today I can stand strong and say I'm in recovery, but I'm also a father. I'm also a brother or a son or a responsible member of this community. And without my recovery, none of this would have been possible. No, absolutely. And I really loved hearing that speech. Uh, you guys did well. And, uh, you know, what the show is really about today um, is that prevention aspect, not just changing the stigma of the disease, uh, but the prevention aspect. And, uh, you know, over the last year, just how many kids have you spoken to just in estimate over the last year? Um, over the last year, we estimated we've done over 86 different presentations. Okay. So we're gearing up towards about 11,000 people, and over 7,000 of them have been students. And we just got started full-time in January and really only kicked us off September 12th of 2013, where we were just doing it part-time. So we're continuing to do this as we go into this year. Even in the last 14 days, we've been at two universities, um, two prisons, which is new for us, uh, two different high schools, and we've actually done... Um, a speech recently at Lambeau Field. So the general public is accepting the idea of recovery, the idea of prevention more often than I've seen it here in Wisconsin, for sure. Do you think that's the the biggest um, driver of your success right now? I mean, you guys are uh, out there, 86 presentations in the last year, and you've just started doing this. You're just starting to get going. What do you, what do you attribute that to, the success? Well, that's, that's one of the things that actually blows our mind because we, when we first started this, we got invited by Mayor Jim Schmidt in Green Bay to do a Celebrate Recovery event. And we got in front of about 10 to 15 people, and we never thought it would turn into what it is today. But we know like how prescription drugs and the heroin epidemic is impacting the Midwest and really the nation all across. So we're kind of in this reactive state. What do we do? How do we get in front of the kids? Because we know prevention can be key. 
And we've been thankful enough that both Doug and I have been dynamic in front of the kids where we can engage them. They find us relatable. They find us somebody they can look up to. And because of that, those kids are able to ask for help at such an earlier part of their life. And people have seen that success in front of the students. We get invited to do events nonstop throughout the last year. I mean, keep in mind, we've never went out and asked for a presentation or asked if we could go do a high school presentation or a rally or any of that. We get the invite because people believe in that message. And ultimately, it's a message of hope. You know, when you're dealing with these hard situations and you're seeing as many people um, dying or being impacted by the disease of addiction, it becomes frightening for the families. And Mm -hmm. there is a sense of fear, right? And along that, there is a lost sense of hope. And our message is more of motivation and driving you know, a happiness in life and finding that passion in life so you can walk around and put a smile on your face again. So it's not like we're going into schools and doing some kind of scare tactic or saying, you know, if you if you try drugs, you're going to end up, you know, in prison. But, hey, this is our personal story. This is what we went through, and this is how we got out of it. And ultimately, we found our happiness. And people see that. They like it. It's an underdog story. People like to see people in accomplishments. And within that, uh, we just keep on getting invited time and time again to do these presentations. So we are so, so ungodly grateful for that. No, oh, you know, I, I think you, you hit it right on the head. It's those underdog stories, uh, you know, with, with especially with with heroin recovery. There's such low percentage rates. You know, it's these underdog stories that uh, you know seem to go really well. It's the success stories, and you know, that's what. Keeps seems to keep people clean and seeing that other people are doing it and so you know passing along our message. Um, with all the kids that you've spoken to over the last year, I know you must have spoken with a lot of different age groups. What age group do you feel was appropriate or the best to start with? What's the right time to start talking to kids from your perspective? Well, I have a couple different perspectives. One, from a presentation standpoint, we're generally in front of kids that are about 14 to 15 years old because we primarily do speak to high schoolers, but we also speak to middle schoolers as well. And we know that should be a primary focus. As early as sixth grade, at least for us, we can start doing presentations and talking about prevention work in that school platform because most of the drug use seems to be picked up in between those years, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. For me personally, as a parent, you know, I have a nine-year-old and I have an 11-year-old. Of course, my job is a little bit different than probably most parents. So I can talk to them on the dangers of drugs quite frequently. And I think that consistent small conversation is important, just like Rob pointed out. It's not that huge talk with my kids right now. But I am able to pull them aside, let them know, you know, the dangers of drugs, how it can impact their life. And, but regardless of the situation, I'm there. I love them. I care for them. And I'm, I'm willing to get them through any situation they put themselves in. But they need to know what's going on in our community as well. Sure. And finding that relatable story, whether we're in front of the high schoolers, middle schoolers, or even my, my children alone, seems to make a really nice impact on the kids. Hey, I know somebody that went through this, and this is what happened. Or I personally went through this, and these are the decisions that I made, and it ended up this way. I don't want you to go down that same path. Because keep in mind, with Rise Together, we're trying to help prevent kids from going down the same path we did. And one of the ways we do that is through telling our story. Sure. 
Absolutely. You know, and, and I'm sure your nine and 11 year old are, are very proud of uh, what you're doing and, you know, and the impact that you're making. Uh, do you consider yourself a role model? Yes. Yes, I do. Finally, for once, I feel as if people are looking up to both Doug and I for the right reasons. Now, don't get me wrong. We made some horrible decisions in our lives, but it was underneath some type of substance. And because we understand the disease of addiction and the choices that can be made underneath that substance, we no longer look at ourselves as bad people. And that's where you have that defining moment of, yes, I am proud to be in recovery. And yes, I'm proud to be a father. And I'm proud of the things that I'm doing to give back to the community. And people follow us and they look up to us and they're motivated. And I'm going to tell you what, it makes a lot of difference. I've seen just because of the work we do in Rise Together Alone, it's dynamically changed my family situation where it is an amazing feeling to have my kids in the crowd with a huge smile on their face, cheering their dad on. You know, at one point in my life, I wasn't around my kids that much because of my substance abuse issue. And now I have them closer to me than ever before. So it's helped change my life, but I've also seen that change other families' lives because how I live mine. No, absolutely. You know, and, and I get, you know, some of that same reward from doing that in interventions and coaching and uh, being able to stop this disease and help somebody find help and change that family dynamic so they can have healthy family structures and their kids don't go through, you know, the, this wicked cycle is just so awesome. It's so awesome to be a part of that and be able to do it that. Is. So. It is. And how how grateful we, we both have to be. You know, this is a situation where you're really giving love and, uh, and passion back out to the community, showing people that, yes, I've been through it. This is how we can get through. Let's band together. Let's lock arms. Let's give this community a shot at, you know, reviving itself. Because honestly, it is sometimes very frustrating to be out there and see what's happening. I mean, we were at a high school yesterday and just asking simple questions like, whether or not they believe there was a substance abuse issue in the school or how many people here in the school have lost somebody to the disease of addiction. Sure. The number of arms that go up is not only alarming to us as presenters, but alarming to the teachers and staff included because they don't have that general pulse typically because people don't want to talk about this issue. And in fact, we should be talking about it because by keeping silent, that's what's going to keep this problem going in the wrong direction. No, I, I completely agree right now. Uh, what, what, do you, what do the kids need to know right now regarding drugs and alcohol use? What's, what's important for them to know? Well, when we go into the schools, we typically say, you know, these are the drugs that are available in your community, and you know this, and this is how they're impacting the community from a negative standpoint. We primarily focus on prescription drugs and heroin, but it's taking a lot of lives here in Wisconsin and beyond. So the kids recognizing that, recognizing the dangers and where prescription drugs can lead is extremely important in our world because it's one of the things that is destroying our community, if that makes any sense. But on top of that, kids need to know that other drugs can lead to that as well. It's usually a combination of things, right? Just like for you and I, maybe it was alcohol, and then maybe that led to marijuana. Regardless of what drug it is, though, it can impact your health. I mean... If it's socially acceptable to drink, like here in Wisconsin, or marijuana from a national standpoint, let's not forget that regardless if they're legal or not legal, they can damage your health. And this is what it looks like. 
You know, that's important for anybody to know for any substance that you're taking. Sure. Period. Well, well, and you know, and one of the things that you know led led me to my heroin addiction was thinking that prescription pills from a doctor were going to be safe here. That you know, cocaine was very dangerous. But pills were okay, you know, and I had prescription opiates far before I ever, you know, tried like cocaine or ecstasy, um, some of those mm-hmm. other drugs thinking, you know, that this would be safe. So uh, it's, it's, I think it's so important for the kids to understand that even though something may be legal or illegal, you know, they can still be dangerous for you, mm-hmm. um, you know, or slow your progress hey, down. Yeah, and let's not forget on some of the other things, too. And I know Rob mentioned it previously in the interview, which was an excellent point, because I hear kids say it all the time. You know, you came in, you did a presentation, and now I'm looking at drugs in a whole different light. And I'm looking at them, yes, they are going to potentially harm me or maybe even take my life, and I no longer want to take them. But how do I get back into the situation? And I'm with my friends. They're using or I'm at a party and a bunch of other people are using, and I want to get out of that situation, but I don't know how. So what's your exit strategy, right? And that's important for even myself, because as I travel around and go to concerts and different things like that, you could very well run into a situation that somebody's drinking, right? Or somebody's smoking marijuana. I have an exit strategy myself, you know? I primarily use, you know, a good support system when I go anywhere, you know, if I have Doug with me or any of the other people that are in recovery. That's really good for me because most people can step forward and say, no, that individual doesn't need to be here. That individual doesn't want to use or that individual doesn't need to drink. Thank you for offering that kind of thing. Right. And sure. kids can kind of do that on the same, on the same point, you know, have a good supportive friend with you, but also, you know, kids can make up some of the most ridiculous excuses. And I think some of those excuses can be transcended into your exit strategy to, Hey, you know, my mom's calling, I need to go home. Or even for me, Hey, my kids not feeling really well right now. I need to go. You know, it can work the same thing. Who cares if it's just somewhat of a small lie? You're getting yourself out of that dangerous situation. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because you know in recovery we're always taught to have an exit strategy or a way out. You know, but why couldn't a kid use that too? Who maybe doesn't have an addiction to say this is the exit strategy? Oh, that mom, my parents want me home, or you know, make up that little thing that might be able to get them out of that difficult situation. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, if you sit around and you hang around in that situation long enough, you're bound to use. I mean, you sit in a, I mean, the saying goes, you sit in a barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Um, But ultimately, have a good exit strategy. Know the dangers of the drugs that are in your community or even in your school, for that matter, because they are there. That is relevant. We've seen that time and time again. It's uh, It's not a big surprise any longer. And sure. we need to talk about it as, as a community and as parents, because let's not forget about the family structure alone. If we need to uh, change this or prevent our kids from going on the same path, um, or even if you don't have that path of substance abuse, having that general conversation as the kid develops at different stages of his life is so, so important. Age, you know, son, I love you. I care about you. Here's what your father has been through. Here's what your mother's been through. You could very well have this disease of addiction as well. This is what could potentially happen. I have that conversation with my son all the time. And it's necessary. And now he actually asks about it when different things come up. Hey, Dad, what about drinking? What about smoking? And if we never had those little conversations, he wouldn't be comfortable enough to ask that. So 
build that relationship with your loved ones or the children that you have. That I think that's great. Um, you know that that you're having those conversations that he feels comfortable enough to open up to you because of your past conversations and talking. So, um, do you have any advice for parents on how to talk to their kids about drug use? Outside of what we've already talked about, um, I think just starting the conversation is key. Far too often, I see parents just so afraid of that conversation. They're afraid of maybe the answers. They're afraid of maybe the reality of their child's drug use. But if we hold off and we don't look at it in the most loving and caring way that you're actually giving that love and care back to them and saying, hey, you know, I'm here for you. Because ultimately kids at that age, especially since they're changing, whether it's through middle school or high school, sometimes they just want to be heard. We see that all the time with Rise Together. These kids reach out to us uh, from a professional standpoint on social media all the time, at all hours of day. Hey, you know, I'm going through this, and this is really difficult for me. And having a conversation with them and directing them in the right direction, um, that's all those kids need sometimes. Somebody to listen to. Somebody needs to know that there's somebody out there that cares about them enough to support them when they're feeling low. Same thing with your kids. They just want to know that you're there for them. So, Anthony, do do you have any final message for our listeners out there? Final message is let's continue to get in front of this problem that we have all throughout the nation. These conversations, whether they're small or big conversations like at the rally, need to continue to happen. A voice needs to be heard, and we cannot no longer stay silent. And let's be proud of our recovery and where we're at, because people do recover. People have the ability to come back from the most challenging situations. And in a sense, anybody can understand that. We all go through our own struggles. We all have our own story. You know, how is your story going to make a difference in the community? I think that's how I would close anything. (laughs) That's uh, a wonderful close. Anthony, uh, thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate you being here. Excellent. Excellent. And just a little shout out. I know um, we are in a realm where we're going to be releasing a brand new website. So for those individuals in Wisconsin, uh, we have uh, weallrisetogether.org. Simple. We have some fine, some great um, help information on there. We have information just on Rise Together, where we're going to be, when our next presentation is. And that will give people here in Wisconsin an opportunity to get involved with some really cool upcoming events so we can continue to spread this message of recovery. So weallrisetogether.org. Sounds good. Thanks, Anthony, for being here. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. You too. And Rob, uh, Vincent, I'd also like to thank you for being here. If you're still my around. pleasure. Um, I, my privilege and honor to be a part of the conversation today. Well, thank you very much. And that's about all the time we have today. Uh, but you know, this is what I want my listeners to do. I, I would like to know what you think would make a really good show or an issue or a topic that you'd like to hear about. So if you have a topic that you'd like to uh, to, to hear discussed on our show, please email me at jacobjansen at itookthehighroad.com. Um, and again, I'd like to thank our guests for being here today. And please tune in next, next week for another episode of I Took the High Road. I'm Jacob Jansen. Have a great week and enjoy life. Thank you for listening to I Took the High Road. 
Please join Jacob Jansen for another encouraging hour next Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you next week.